Hello, I'm Mr. Movies of the Famous. Hello, I'm Mr. Movies of the Famous Film Twitter.com, and this is the Mr. Movies Podcast. I've been watching a lot of Russian dance videos from 2016 and learning the ins and outs of what it's like to be online while Slavic. Uh, And what I've learned is that if you aren't squatting, you're kicking. And if you aren't kicking, you're talking about your pussy directly posted to Instagram. Russian culture is fascinating. That's <laughs> the point I'm making, I guess. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I hope you guys are having a having a good one. I'm recording this early, early in the morning, and hoping to have this out as soon as physically possible. But um, I decided that I don't watch enough uh, international films. I don't watch enough films that are in a language I don't speak. And one movie that I've been meaning to revisit is a Russian movie. It's a movie post-Soviet collapse, which is a time period in like Russian cinema that we don't talk about much, even though we're in it. You know, most of the good stuff that came out of Russia came out early, early on in the Soviet Union. And, you know, they're still making stuff. And in my opinion, the best thing to come out of Russia post-collapse is this movie that came out in 2014 called Leviathan. Uh, Leviathan was nominated for Best International Film in 2015. Um, It didn't win it, sadly. Uh, the film that beat it was a movie called Ida, a Polish movie by Pael Palakowski. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. Uh, this movie has an absolutely stunning soundtrack. Uh, you won't be shocked to know that it was composed in a joint effort by Andrei uh, Dergachev and Philip Glass. It's, it's, a, it's an indie masterpiece. You, you really can't beat it. Probably the best way to describe this is um, extremely A24, even though A24 is a uh, distribution company and not affiliated with the filmmaking process whatsoever. But you know what I'm talking about. It's that soft lighting, the camera all up in your shit. Uh, It's always between two people talking. Uh, You know, like the camera's in in between the conversation, kind of like what Roger Deakins brags about how he films his stuff it's always overcast outside uh every color is muted 
no one's having a good time is another uh, big point in A24 movies. Um, I'm a piggy for it, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. A couple of things really stand out to me in this movie. Uh, the first being, obviously, that soundtrack. It's some of the most Philip Glass sounding composition you'll ever hear. I mean, just listen to this intro track. But the second thing that stood out to me was the natural Russian landscape. We always associate Russia with, like, snow, misery, mud everywhere, tracksuits, cigarettes. But there's a huge portion of Russia that's completely and totally underdeveloped because of the hostility of that landscape. But it's not always a deadly trial. There's, like, vast stretches of tundra and permafrost that just roll with these beautifully jagged hills. But this film takes us somewhere that we hardly ever consider, and that's a coastal town in an incredibly unforgiving climate. The unnamed town off of the Barents Sea is the perfect place for a capsule film. I mean, how many movies do the man-versus-nature trope where the first three minutes they talk about how they have no cell phone reception and they're all on their own, it's beaten into the ground, which I have sympathy for. I mean, like, how do people not know something in the age of information? Your phone has all the answers, and it's right there in your pocket, so instead of making the issue an inavailability of information, why not make someone so isolated that they're forced to succumb to the hierarchy of law enforcement in a town where no one can really hear you scream. This is Leviathan. The premise of the movie is pretty simple. A uh, guy has a house that he doesn't want torn down because his family lives there, and he happens to like his family a bit. But on top of that, it's pretty well established how much he hates the police. Which is probably the ideal time to carry us into my extremely one-sided discussion of Andre. Oh, hmm. Zviagintsev? Zviagintsev's Leviathan. The movie opens up with some stunning landscape shots of a Russia that we never really think about. Anytime I think about Russian nature, my mind immediately goes to the Soviet defense against like the Nazi army. I mean, why wouldn't it? There's all these famous stories about Napoleon failing to invade, Hitler failing to invade. There's even that whole saying about no one winning a land war in Asia. So the first thing your mind wanders to is a tundra death trap, right? Just like dying from exposure the second you step out of your house. But this movie is incredibly sentimental in its depiction of the Russian coastline. 
which I know I'm doing a lot of conjecture here, but hear me out. Post-Soviet collapse. What all can you focus on in Russian society that doesn't feel like a sad reminiscence of the past? Even in the modern day, Russia is largely looked at as a country still trying to figure out what it is, and the art that comes out post-collapse feels like this. So finally taking a break from an identity crisis, Leviathan takes us through and gives us an idea of what makes this country naturally beautiful, and more importantly, uses this inherent beauty to raise the stakes when it all is about to be ripped out from under us. To make matters worse, Kolya, our main character, has a teenage son who sucks. So I mean, there's pressure from all sides, is what I'm saying. But more importantly than that, the police are crooked in an old-timey way. Literally, like, old-timey crooks. Pulling people over and shaking down drivers for money. Because they live out in the middle of nowhere. And who are you going to call? I am the police. This anti-authority establishment really plays into this movie's plot well. The plot being that Kolya's on his way to defend himself in court to keep the state from taking his home. His small, 0.66 acre home in a small town where no one really pays attention to. We get all the information we need in the next scene when a Russian judge talks faster than I've ever heard someone speak in a language I don't understand a word of at all. Like, just... I'm, I'm just gonna have you listen to it. Just feel the anxiety. Why would you ever want to be a lawyer? I want to point out, I didn't speed anything up here. All you need to know is that his appeal got denied and his whole life is fucked. Did that insert do anything for you? Do you guys feel as anxious as I do? Good. Good. This takes us to a meeting between the mayor of the small town, and I'm assuming a Russian Orthodox priest, uh, where we get the big underlying argument that this movie makes. The intertwining of religion and corruption. This movie, as the title would imply, a leviathan as it, like, it is a massive creature that something like a small human could never hope to defend himself from. It's impossible to overstate how massive of an undertaking this would be, but it's built up to be this strong on purpose. The word of the law is strong in its own regard, but you need buy-in. Who better to sell your message to the masses than the church? The church has a very unique relationship with the community that supports it. The church takes in the poor, the needy, and while some churches do provide essential services, the gilded priests that take from the poor to give to themselves 
are prime vehicles for pitching the ideal of an intertwined future of prosperity for those in need. Yes, you may have a mayor who believes what we believe and cuts taxes for you, and, you know, in your cell phone uh, company conglomerate. But does he have a spiritual buy-in? These two forces are the hard and soft power that are used to uh, effectively hold down the defenseless in society. They're constantly being dual-wielded by each other. And when they run corrupt, they perfectly support each other and become the bedrock that your corrupt society is built upon. A mayor begging for cash, sitting across from a priest practically dipped in gold, is about all you need to understand how this small coastal city operates. And we get stakes after this. The local government is going to tear down Kolya's house because the mayor is an asshole who sucks shit and likes sinning, but like, the bad kind. The funniest thing about this movie is that normally, when you film with alcohol, it's all colored water. And these are actors, and we've all been drunk at least once, so it's not hard to play pretend, you know? These actors supposedly insisted that they actually drank, and most of the takes that you see are the 8th or ninth take of the movie. So you're witnessing genuinely drunk people uh, really staggering through the emotions of getting your house taken away and ultimately, like, demolished. I'm convinced that the guy who played Kolya actually felt what he was feeling. Like, I've seen a guy who looked like Kolya before, and things weren't going well. Like, I'm not saying that you have to go full method actor. I'm just saying, like the authenticity behind actually destroying your liver and your lungs because of the intense depression you get from a local mayor trying to ruin your life, it transcends the screen if you <laughs> do this. What I'm saying is, Marvel should let Spider-Man do heroin. Being drunk, you get a little fired up. If you're a certified real-ass dude, you feel bulletproof. Uh, the boys deciding to stand up against the mayor by threatening to kill him and shove his entire plot of land into his hearse is just really cool. Like, this is really cool. <laughs> you ever loved your family so much you threatened direct action against an elected official? <laughs> this movie pulls no punches when it portrays the cops as just doing whatever they want to do. I mean... If someone is literally taking your house away from you and your family, and your marriage is already extremely rocky, so losing a home means you're probably losing your child and your wife too, you're allowed to just be like, a small, small smidge of an asshole to people who are standing between you and defending your family and home. Kolya goes to a police station to look for records. He just shouts, hey, what's taking so long? And they throw him in jail for the night. Which, I gotta say, it's really cool knowing how the police are like this everywhere, and there's nothing we can do about it. It kicks ass, personally, and I, I, I'm not filled with dread by it. Uh, 
instead of deciding to just like kill the mayor like they wanted to uh, they decide to challenge him legally Kolya's best friend lawyer goes and does a whole tough guy routine which like understandably makes the guy who's lived his whole life in the eye of law extremely angry the mayor's like four feet tall maximum and the lawyer friend is over six feet tall it would have been the quickest smoothest operation the only thing you need to worry about is his low center of gravity lifting you then pinning your soft baby-like skull against a jagged coastline rock but he's drunk so you're at advantage the entire time? He could have just done this, but chose to go through the courts instead, which has a great track record. Am I right, everyone who watched the first 20 minutes of the move? One thing I noticed about the courtroom is how old habits do die hard. Like supposedly in the Soviet Union, there were portraits of Lenin and Stalin in classrooms and legal buildings like absolutely everywhere, which like, we do this too. When I was flying back from my honeymoon, uh, Customs in Ireland had a big portrait of Donald Trump hung up. Like a really, really big one. But like, every legal building has a weird portrait of Vladimir Putin. And it's not a great picture either. Like at least Lenin looked nice in his. A strong bottom-up angle, making him look way taller than he actually was. But Putin's... Man, it's rough. Um, he looks like a porcelain doll, like in the middle of painting it. Like, you almost have to feel bad for him. Things get worse for Kolya, too. Uh, on top of being thrown in jail, he gets cucked by his lawyer. When it rains, it pours, am I right, fellas? This movie is such a cool glimpse into, uh, like, Russian life, I guess you could call it. Like, there's a scene further along in this movie where the family goes out into the wilderness glamping. I guess, to go shoot guns and wear tracksuits and beanies, and it's accompanied by this weird Russian radio pop and vodka drinking, uh, but it doesn't feel like satire. It feels sincere. Like, this is the type of stuff a 14-year-old boy would be listening to instead of taking in any nature whatsoever, which I gotta say, I respect the move. They also go on to shoot portraits of former Soviet Union leaders, too. Which felt... odd. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what this was supposed to imply. Like, their lives are pretty terrible at this point, so this may have been some sort of mind-over-matter move. Like, you can just will away being your life being terrible? This is just the secret for capitalists, I guess. You see, all you need's a dream board. And on that dream board should be communist revolutionaries with cool facial features. Like a goatee? Or big eyebrows? I'm just, I'm just gonna stop joking for a bit and point out that the director's main argument in this movie is that uh, communism going away and being replaced by whatever Putin is didn't get rid of the problem because we still have authoritarianism. Which, like, I don't know. Take what you want from this. But the director's actually Russian and I'm not, so what do I know? I, I, I do know that he equates authoritarianism with being a capitalist stooge, or like the former head of a USSR, which, you know what, fair. That's fine. It, it, hey, did you know this movie's really fucking depressing? Remember the lawyer who cucked Cole, yeah? Well, 
in a fit of rage, he goes and chokes her off screen, then uh, supposedly gets executed with a machine gun on a family camping trip. This seems to be the move with movies shot this way. Like, things are going bad in, right? So you need to up the ante. Like, a guy fucks your wife? That's the appetizer. It's gonna get so much worse than this. Threatening to take away your home? Alright. Alright, I'm feeling it. But hear me out. Attempted wife aside. Then real homicide. Huh? You like? Suka? <laughs> the, the, the murder doesn't happen, by the way. I, they, they just wanted to make you upset. Instead of murder, they just run away together. Uh, not romantically either. Like, there's a weird aura of guilt to it all. Like, there's, there's no victories allowed whatsoever in this movie. But we don't get to linger on this long before his wife comes home, making us, the beautiful viewers, feel horrible on so many levels. It's good filmmaking, no matter how you cut it. Not sure how I'd handle this situation, but I'm sure I wouldn't just sit there brooding. I'd probably say something very cool and thought out, like I've been practicing in the shower for my entire life. The marriage starts falling apart, naturally, and with them giving up on each other, they've given up on saving the house too. I mean, that is what a house represents, isn't it? Like it's less of a roof over your head and much more of a communal space that you've shared memories in. And I mean, you see this a lot with divorces and major deaths in the family. Like, people just selling their homes or moving out of apartments because it becomes impossible to overwrite the memories of the space in the new world you're living in post-tragedy. They try to reconcile this with a spontaneous doggy style, which their son finds out about by literally stumbling upon it. Not exactly the thing you want during spontaneous doggy style. The ecstasy of this moment hardly lasts at all, as does everything in this film, as Lilia drives herself to the shoreline, and just, like, like, like a reflex, kills herself by throwing herself into the waves. She does this after seeing a whale breach the surface, which kind of draws me back to the title of the movie. The first time we see a literal leviathan is when we see the massive corpse of one on the beach after Kolya's son runs out of the house after walking in on his parents having sex. <laughs> but here, part of him seems to die. Like, we get a glimpse of him after all this happens, and he's just screaming at his parents. Like, he's grown to hate his mom, because his mom has ruined everything in his eyes. And this goes beyond, like, your typical teenage angst that you feel. I'm sure we all yelled at our parents at some point, but this is, like, very much rooted in the reality of the situation. This is very much like a good read by this young boy 
realizing that his mom has completely fucked his life up. <laughs> is his mom this whole movie like hasn't given a shit about him? She doesn't even like give him good mornings. She refuses to take him anywhere because the son's just kind of been mean to her. Like this is just part of being a parent, you know? So the kid already feels like you don't even love him all that much, you know? And um, on top of that, you go and you fuck your dad's best friend. <laughs> Naturally, he's going to have a few words to say with you. But it's also like a massively tumultuous time in your life. Like, we, you, you guys remember being a teenager. Remember, like, not being invited somewhere with your friends was like the equivalent of being shot in the head execution style? Like, I, I, I remember that. I remember my hormones raging. I remember being so filled up with testosterone that I could tear anything in half, but also my body hadn't developed yet. So I was just kind of like this scrawny little tenderloin piece of meat. So I was just really angry and didn't have anything I could do about it. So, I mean, I'm just saying, you walk in on your parents having sex after your mom fucked your dad's best friend, it's probably going to do a little bit of psychological damage to you. She watching me! The, the other thing I want to point out is he never really seems to have liked his dad either. Like, um... Uh, uh, this is like a, a lot of conjecture, but it's on account of the fact that his dad corrects him by literally hitting him and calling them things like slaps of passion. Like, here the son's vision of any sort of optimistic future died. No one faces any consequences in this universe, and things will forever seem to take the most destructive route possible. The second instance of a literal leviathan is when Ilya sees one before throwing herself into the waves below. What I mentioned earlier about the figurative leviathan of the church and the state, it makes sense that the pressures exerted by the tandem would ultimately end the figurative and literal lives of the people affected by them. The police believe, and honestly for somewhat of a good reason, that Kolya killed his wife and staged it as a suicide. Because the whole account of what happened with the machine gun earlier, the attempted wife-aside I was talking about, turns out that was actually really, really well documented by everybody who had experienced it. Um, you know, he because Kolya caught her cheating uh, and brought her back home and literally threatened to kill both of them by shooting a gun in the air, so, like, I'm no fan of the police, but this detective work lines up. I hate to say it, but they nailed him here. Even though it's wrong, the reasoning works. Kolya gets locked up. His son is now orphaned, and the house is torn down. Because life can be really fucking sad. This cuts to the mayor enjoying a massive lunch, and the priest from earlier... Covered in white, just prime, prime white orthodox cloth, uh, dipped in gold, it looks like. Like you were to pinch him by his shoulders and dip him into molten gold. 
It's kind of what his outfit looks like. Uh, he's giving a whole sermon about being humble and faithful to your God, you know, but most importantly, you have to be truthful. You know, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the, the modus operandi he's running with is make sure that you guys aren't telling big ol' lies. And you know, this juxtaposed with Kolya literally just getting pinned with the, uh, very much didn't happen murder of his wife. What, what, what else do you need to say about this? What, 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 what can you add to this, um, criticism, I guess? It's great filmmaking. It's genuinely thoughtful. This long, long sermon finally lets out, and we get that phenomenal Philip Glass composition that takes us to the shoreline, then out to the credits. That's Leviathan. I, I, I don't know what else to say about this movie other than I am floored and it it really held up. It's It stood the test of time and that's something that is really, really hard to do with these... Um, I, I think it's fair to call this like an indie film. You know, these like hyper-stylized indie films. And I don't know if this movie got lucky because the style that it's filmed in was taking off in 2014, and that style very much is still here. Like, I know that I joked earlier about this being, like, an A24-esque movie, but, like, that's just become synonymous with a very certain type of story and a very certain type of look to your movie. The budget feels a lot smaller, the problems are a lot more personal, and things never really seem to be getting better for people. Um, a movie that this reminded me of actually would be like, in, in the way that it's filmed, the way that it's lit, the way that the camera's shoved all up in your shit, would be that, um, the, the movie Ex Machina, which like, I, I, I've been yelled at for this before and I'll, I'll get yelled at for it again. I didn't really like Ex Machina at all. I, I don't like that a movie that relies on a, um... Uh, a, a plot point by a name that you, like, try to avoid, like a deus ex machina, just a sudden rapturous saving of something that didn't exist before. I mean, the ending is an ex machina, and that drove me insane. There there are some parts of the movie that are wonderful. Like, Oscar Isaac told taught me that um, it is y you can be bald and have a nice beard and still be handsome, and that's what I'm gunning for. Please, Oscar, help. But the style has stuck around for a while, and I'm not exactly sure why it's stuck around. I think that it's because it's easy to do, air quotes, lower-budget movies with this type of filmmaking. You know, the backgrounds are largely, um, like, circumstantial. Uh, what matters is what is going on in the backgrounds. So you're able to just keep the camera fixated on people's faces and allow us the opportunity to see them literally physically um, processing these emotions. You know, the, the closer the camera is, the more you can see people frown and the more you can see them quiet. But, but like, it, it's actually effective. 
like how how many movies have you seen recently where um it, it does like that Futurama style bit about you know like the devil uh when, when he goes um God what is it I'm I'm not, I'm gonna fuck up the quote but the devil says something along the lines of like I hate whenever people tell me their emotions instead of like conveying them it makes me feel upset you know because <laughs> the uh, filmmaking is all about showing and not telling right. And this movie does a whole lot of that, but it also does a whole lot of telling. But the telling is done in a way that is meant to induce anxiety. I mean, the the scenes that I think of the most, and probably the scenes that everybody remembers about this movie that's seen this, is that woman in the courtroom reading off the um, the denial of his appeal as fast as physically possible, because it was just so routine that he was getting his home taken away from him, that she just, like, couldn't be fucking bothered with any minutia of, like, caring or even, like, dignity, even though he is also a human like her. It's a phenomenal movie. Um, well, one thing that I love to bring up about this movie, like I mentioned at the beginning, is that soundtrack. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, if, if you don't go on to watch Leviathan, if you don't want to just have a night where you watch a practically two-and-a-half-hour movie about being sad, uh, d- doing a, a sad-to-depression speedrun in um, beautiful uh, Russian nature, um, at least check out the, the soundtrack. I mean, it's Philip Glass, which kind of fits into that joke I did earlier about this being very A24. You know, he's he's just kind of become synonymous with indie movies that are trying. But but it's it's stunning. And the way that they accompany this soundtrack with this beautiful natural landscape that we never see in movies that are depicting Russia. You know, we've always depicted Russia as this horrifically cruel and harsh place that's unforgiving and you'll die of exposure and you didn't wear a jacket, even though a lot of Russians don't wear jackets in music videos. Like the one I played from earlier. With the girl, you know the one. You're so sexy Russian girl, break up my forgotten spot. Drink shot, fireball, drink eat ball. Dance all the night, guys, against the paradise. Absolute carpass, Russian patinka mass. This video is really great. These people are saying that you should come to a Russian party in Kamaz. And uh, it, it, it looks terrible. They're just lifting weights and chain smoking in the back of a dump truck that's the party <laughs> come on god russia seems so cool but like what, what, what i'm loving right now is uh post leviathan i know leviathan didn't kick it off but i'm sure it helped a little bit you know we're starting to get these glimpses of russia in ways that are genuinely funny in in, in ways that are genuinely like uh, heartfelt and very empathetic because as I'm, I'm imagining as like the old guard of um, filmmaking start to die out and they're no longer scared of like oh my god it's a Soviet Russia um, you know where we're realizing that we're like in a new era of Russian society well not exactly new it's been like 30 years but you know what I mean um, I, I, I think that we're going to start getting these different glimpses of them being less of a like hardened tough war-torn people and seeing them much more as what they are which is just people living worthy of not being extradited for just existing you know but i hope you guys enjoyed this i'm gonna quit dragging this out because um 
I don't really have too much more I want to say about it other than the fact that Leviathan is just a fucking masterpiece. I love the poster for this movie. You got that stunning skeleton of the Leviathan, the little boy sitting on it. You guys will know the scene once you watch the movie. It's like one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie because it's accompanied by a wife suicide, the saddest suicide of all. And the only quote that they put on it is dead in the center, in the middle of open blue sky that looks cold as shit. It just says, a masterpiece. That's all you really need to know about it. I highly, highly recommend you guys go into this movie. Really, like, just take it in. It's a very slow burn. It's a movie that lingers on shots for what can feel like too long, but as time goes on, you'll understand that, like, the lingering of these shots is meant to imply sentimentality. Like, you'll never see the shots linger on something that the husband, Kolya, didn't hold near and dear to his heart. The scenes that feel like they've gone by too fast are the scenes that air quotes actually matter to the plot, if that makes sense. But it's the little things. It's the holding your wife. It's the, you know, talking to your son after he's come back from hanging out with his friends. It's the sitting around a picnic table with everybody that you love on a camping trip. It's these moments that seem to linger on forever that kind of feels the way that, like, memory works, right? Because whenever somebody dies, you never really remember the hard times that you had with them. It's the quiet, happy like long periods of time that you would just spend with somebody just kind of like enjoying silence in their company this movie is a masterclass in how to build up relationships in a way that don't feel hokey don't feel circumstantial just feel natural the husband and wife here genuinely feel like a husband and wife really going through some shit and the teenage boy man did I see myself in him that poor guy. I hope he ended up okay. I mean, he's like an orphan in Russia. I don't really... I don't really know how that's gonna work out. But I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. Um, I hope you guys go and enjoy Leviathan. just want to apologize for this one being just a little bit shorter. But um, if, if it were longer, it would just be me being like, Oh my god, look at that sunset over a strictly audio forum or format for an art form that is almost entirely visual. Because I have good planning, and I realized this early on, and I've refused to stop doing it. Let's get Mr. Movies Podcast to 300 episodes. By then I'll be in my early to mid-30s, maybe? I don't know, I skip a week every now and then. I'll be in my 50s. The editing will have done its toll on my mind, and I will slowly turn to dust, like the bones of a leviathan. <laughs>